talent goes nowhere unless it's harnessed and nurtured in the right way. And so that is the training part of it, the mindset training, the the nutritional um, discipline, um, the sleep um, regime, developing Mm. all of that is part of the uh, integral ingredients to becoming a champion. Welcome to Forever Young, the health and well-being podcast from Lanzerhof. My name is Mario Pedazzoli, and in every episode, join me in conversation with a variety of health experts and special guests as we explore what it means to live well. We may not find the secret to eternal youth, but join me on our quest as we explore just what it means to live a balanced, healthy, and happy life. Hello again, and welcome. Well, today's podcast is yet another special one. Our guest today is a former GB athlete who won a dramatic gold and the nation's hearts at the Sydney Olympics in 2000. My guest's distinguished career in track and field athletics also includes being a two-time Commonwealth Games champion, the 1998 European champion, and who won silver medals in the 97 and 99 World Championships. Her achievements, culminating in Olympic gold in Sydney, led to her being honoured with an OBE in the 2000 New Year's Honours list. And after retiring from athletics in 2005, she was then inducted into the UK Athletics Hall of Fame. Well, not one to sit still. Since retiring from athletics, she has undertaken various television and media work and is now a regular athletics pundit for BBC Television, including Olympic coverage in London 2012, Rio 2016 and this year's Olympics in Tokyo. And, well, if that's not enough, she's a mother of four, and she can also dance, making it to the final of the second ever series of Strictly. Uh, I am, of course, talking about the one and only Denise Lewis. Denise, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm spot on with all the facts. I love it. <laughs> well, it didn't take too long. There's there's a lot about you out there, Denise. So, um, But you do sound like a bit of a wonder woman. Uh, how are you today? How are you feeling today? Uh, ordinarily, I feel I'm feeling great, but I'm a bit nasally. So um, uh, I've, I've sort of adopted these sort of dulcet tones, which aren't my normal sound. But I'm hoping it's going to sound fine for your podcast, which I'm really looking forward to being part of. But um, I'm great. Sun shining, all is well. It's a beautiful day. How are you dealing with your cold? Any particular regimes to help you combat that? Yeah, I'm a bit of um uh, I, I love the old remedies, you know, things like uh, turmeric root. So I've been gratering. My fingernails are bright yellow at the moment because I've been gratering <laughs> <laughs> turmeric root, um, baking that golden milk, which is supposed to be really good for you for when you've got cold, oat milk, um, turmeric, um, what else goes in there? Cinnamon. Um, I put a little bit of nutmeg in as well, mix it all up, a little potion. I've always got some ginger in the house um, and garlic, so I've crushed that up and uh, try and sweat it out. Well, this is a health and well-being podcast, so that's a good start. Thanks for sharing those secrets. Um, well, look, it's a it's a podcast, so our listeners cannot see us talking on Zoom, which we are right now. But I have to say, you look so incredibly well and fit, and we have to say, twenty one years after you won Olympic gold. Um, so come on, for our podcasters, share your secrets, please. How are you managing to, to look so well? Ah, oh, I mean, when you say that, 21 years, it's just incredible. But um, I think 
with purpose. I, I look this way because I mindfully and purposefully said I have to honour my body. As a woman, you know that there's certain life um, milestones that you're not going to be able to avoid, and that's the dreaded M word, um, <laughs> menopause, which um, is, seems to be, and gratefully, a really hot topic these days. But you know that you're on this train and this destination that you want to stay on the train as long as possible. So you have to be consciously making an effort to, to keep well. And obviously my, my life in sport has given me sort of a few rungs up the ladder. So I already come with a, a great um, engine, I think. Mm. Um, and mindsets, presumably. And absolutely mindset. Um, but, you know, life as an athlete is, was easy because you can be selfishly indulging in your health and well-being, your fitness for its purpose for, it's your job. But when you move away from the sport, it is about trying to recreate a habit that you can sustain. Mm. And I think I was really good up to my second child. And then I thought, oh, retired, I'm loving life, found the wine, found you know, that food tastes so much better when you add a big slab of butter to it. And uh, yeah, I sort of lost my way for a few years, but I rekindled that because as you just alluded to, uh, I have a really good mindset and I know it's not the way to live. And I feel better about myself when I'm sort of, I call it eating cleanly, but I just like to have the natural taste of food. Mm. Um, I'm not a big sauce have um intake uh, mm. i just like to have really good food so fresh salmon fish and i have to say i've got better at my exercise regime um in the last few years i've always been good but i've got really consciously better over the last few years mm. and maybe that's because you know turning 40 being pregnant and having a baby, fourth baby at 46, you know, you've just got to focus and be really consistent about yes. what you're doing. And that's, I think, for me, the key. It's consistency. Consistency and and a routine, maybe. And I think probably athletics or life in elite sport prepares you for routine or, or that maybe never leaves you. Well, it did leave me for a little bit, but it doesn't really. You can, I can access that brain very quickly if I need yeah. to. And that's with anything in my life. When things are going a little bit pear-shaped or not the way I'd envisaged, um, I can put that reset button back on and think about how I can make that change effectively for myself and for my family. Mm. So, yeah, it is the consistency and it is that uh, routine that... I think we all craved, didn't we, during lockdown? I mean, it's yes. finding those new routines mm. that um, just kept you going. Yes, when, when it goes out of the window like that, um, well, it can go one of two ways, can't it? You have to find your new new routine, your, your new normal. So, look, there's lots to talk about today. So let, let's see where this chat takes us. Um, we've established you look like you could compete tomorrow. So, And I, I think that's down to the discipline that you're instilling in yourself again so that that's great to hear but how were you back in the day how were you discovered and how was your raw talent nurtured I think I was just I was I felt like I'm just an ordinary kid that just loved to run and when I got my or found my why which was the Olympics um 
you know, I, I took myself with my mom. I took my mom to take me to my track, the local track in, in the Midlands in Wolverhampton. And it was snowballed from there, really. Um, I was spotted by a, a more senior coach who thought, hmm, there's something a bit different about this one. So I'm, I'm, I want to pursue that. And he invited me to join um, another club, be part of a bigger, more elite group. And, you know, that early sort of recognition of my talent really um, helped me. It kept me focused. And I, I loved the challenge of, of just finding out what my body could do. So it was no miracles. It was sort of, I'd like to think textbook, how it should be, that mm. someone who has a, a trained eye recognises talent and that talent finds the way. But I think there is a little bit of luck involved in that because it wasn't an easy commute for me um being schooled and living in Wolverhampton having to make that journey across to Birmingham which my mom didn't drive at the time mm. and so I had to take bus school bus into town into the town center then a train then another bus to Perry Bar in Birmingham and so that was like an hour and a half trip and then I had to do it all the way back again in the evening so it was it was challenging, but it told me a lot about myself with hindsight looking back that I had the dedication and I had the commitment very yes. early. And those are the signs that you look for. So having to overcome an hour and a half commutes there and back, you know, it does take dedication, as you say, but it makes you wonder how much raw talent there is out there that we don't tap into and, and we don't see the fruits of um, that elite coaching that you clearly benefited from as well. Very much so. Um, I, I think we've seen a, a bit of a breakdown in that sort of school liaison person, that school support spot partnerships that used to be so effective, sort of um, not in my area, but later. So the last sort of 20 years, um, we had a really good setup with Youth Sports Trust where, you know, talent was easily identified um, from mm. the schools to the clubs. Um, and the parents are involved in that setup as well, that sort of triangle. Um, but I do think parents uh, are a lot more cautious mm. about sending their children across towns or cities in order to do their sports. Um, if you can't physically mobilise them yourself, mm. do you entrust that your child is going to get to that destination safely and it's going to be a safe space for him or her to work out in and I think those are some of the challenges and obstacles to why some of the raw talent isn't getting spotted mm. these days so that's oh. why I was really grateful sorry to cut you off there that's why I was really grateful about my mom although um, she raised me on her own we had that sort of implicit trust that she knew that it was my passion mm. and she Although she didn't really know what to do with a daughter who everyone kept telling her was very special, different and talented, she didn't really know what to do. So she had to trust that I would go to the destination because that was my, my, my driver. Mm. And I'm very grateful that she, she did have that trust in me. Well, I'm sure when you were awarded that OBE, uh, the first person you thought of was your mum, I imagine, listening to all of that. Yeah, she's been with me at all the big championships. She travelled with me. Um, she came to the palace when I was awarded my OBE with my grandmother, my late grandmother. 
And it was a very special moment. It was, um, I saw them both with their hats on, their gloves. I mean, they went to town, as you do when you're back to meet Queenie. (laughs) And um, yeah, it it was a real occasion and a moment to be very grateful and thankful that I could share that moment with them. Uh, and of course, it was years in the making, as you've just alluded to, since from being a little girl to 2000 and on the podium, that that in itself is the entire journey to get to that moment. Maybe give us an insight into the the training and preparation needed to compete. Well, not just compete, but win at the highest level. But it's, it's for me, I think it was a, a, a shift in the mindset. You know, I want my first international global title with Commonwealth Games in 1994. And it was a big surprise for me. I I went into those championships thinking, I just want to show what I can do. You know, I was turning 21. And at that point, you're thinking, when's it going to happen for me? And so winning that title really was like a rocket fuel for me. It's like, actually, you can you can be really good if you change your mindset and your application to the training. So it was instead of just rocking up to the training sessions and doing what I was doing, I, I did it with purpose and consideration and knowing that I was closer to being where I wanted to be, which is the best in the world. So it is that adjustment that you have to make uh, to your training regime. I upped the ante, if you like, and started to engage the mind much more in my training and not just for competition. And were you, um, did you know you had to put in the hard, the hard work, you know, on a cold night in Birmingham in the pouring rain in winter? Were you able to switch into that mindset, say, this is what I need to be doing? Yeah. I got better. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Would your <laughs> just, coach just, agree? Just, just in case any of the coaches are ever <laughs> listen to this, um, they'll be like, oh, was this the same girl that used to complain that it was raining and she just like, oh my goodness, do I have to go out? Um, I remember clean, clearing uh, snow off the track many times um, mm-hmm. in Birmingham just to provide a lane for myself. Um, so I know that it was in me but it took a little while to understand it was that sort of attitude, come rain, come shine, come any setbacks, that you need to shift your mind in order to overcome any hurdles. And so, as I said, I got better. I became a better athlete training than I was just a competitor because I was a natural competitor. I, that was, if, if you like, that was my raw talent. But talent goes nowhere unless it's harnessed and nurtured in the right way. And so that is the training part of it, the mindset training, the the nutritional um, discipline, um, the sleep um, regime. Developing Mm. all of that is part of the uh, integral ingredients to becoming a champion. Mm. Uh, Who were your role models? Uh, You've reminded me of Daley Thompson, who said he used to make sure he trained on, on Christmas Day and I, I was a little boy then myself I was so impressed with that uh, was he a role model of yours and who else inspired you? Yeah I love daily still do today um, yeah it's that sort of mindset and I, I didn't train on Christmas Day I was thinking <laughs> there's got to be another way to get to this gold medal you know um, daily I really admired Sebco as well 
Um, but for me, I think sometimes it's the local heroes that that those tangible ones that you can see on the track week in week out that make a difference. They did to me anyway. So you know, both my early experiences of being an athlete and learning the track discipline and the etiquette, and being able to see GB internationals training on the, in the same facility. I had Tessa Sanderson. She was from mm. Wolverhampton, homegrown, became mm. Olympic champion in the javelin in 84. I saw her, another athlete that some people might not know, uh, called Sonia Nanneman, but she was one of the yeah. youngest sprinters in uh, that, that competed for the BOA, British Olympic team. And she, I saw her weekly. And so they look like me would have been to the same sort of schools as me. And so I believed it was possible. There was a chance. And so it's not just the role models you see on the television, but there are key individuals throughout your, your life that continue to inspire and give those valuable sort of nuggets and signposts to say, I'm on the right pathway. Uh, you, you really evoke a an era, a golden era of athletics, um, which we can all feel nostalgic about. But having said all of that, you yourself clearly have been a role model for the future, the next generations. Jess Ennis Hill, obviously, is an obvious example. Katerina Johnson Thompson, and and who knows that that that's just in your sport, the heptathlon. But were you aware of the time? Did you hope uh, that your achievements? Did you look beyond yourself and realise that this could open floodgates or the door? No, not at all. I, it was, you know, you kind of head down, grafting, trying not to make too many mistakes, understanding your own emotions to really understand the impact that you're having on other people's lives. Um, so I've, I've since become very good friends with um, Ebony uh, Jewel Rainford Brent, who is one of the commentators uh, for cricket. Uh, World Cup winner in 2009, and also Maggie Alfonsi, who was also um, a World Cup winner for, for rugby, women's rugby. And they talk about the inspiration that seeing me on television gave them to be consistent and believe they could actually achieve in their own sports. Um, very different sports, both team sports, um, mm -hmm. but those, those women in particular were just like, wow, it, it blew me away to see you and kept me focused. And so that's amazing for me. You know, if you can inspire just one person to be better and to believe, I think that's, you know, that, that's a, a good job, a good innings for you, yourself and oneself. And you, um, you're, you're giving back to the sport through your punditry and, and commentary uh, uh, through the BBC. Um, and it's always a great listen to, to, to for people such as yourself and Colin Jackson, including Michael Johnson as well, that, that really understand what's going on there. So it's almost a privileged insight into the sport. But um, how do you see the state of, of UK athletics today? Um, it maybe is not quite as high profile. We're maybe, with the, with exceptions of Dean Asher-Smith and one or two notable others, um, is, is the future generation coming through? Is the infrastructure there? Are you worried about your sports? Let's have a chat about that. I'm going to take a deep breath now, my <laughs> mindfulness. <laughs> yes. Because if anyone has been following the sport recently, you've, you've seen there's been a lot of headwind 
um, facing the sports on so many levels. Uh, we've just lost our CEO, our performance director. Um, we're in a bit of a, a, bit of a, a strange uh, position, and it's not a good one. And that gives me great concerns. Um, yes, the talent is there, but you also, like you find in your own lives, you know, you don't bring out the best in yourself if the working environment is hostile, if it's not conducive to performance. And that's where I feel UK athletics is at the moment. And we need to turn that juggernaut and rapidly because, you know, the Olympics are three years away. There's uh, Commonwealth Games next year, World Championships, European Championships, three major um, events for track and field. And I don't know, the athletes I know, because I do speak to them, um, are not happy. Mm. I'm not happy. And um, I, I'm not saying that's going to massively affect performance, but it, it will. It's not bringing out the best of the athletes. And so... Things need to change and we need a, 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 a rapid plan of action mm. for you know, damage limitation. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers, but, you know, I know that good relationships start with good common, um, communication and there's been a breakdown of communication and it's been eroded year after year because no one has had the courage to really roll their sleeves up and get down and dirty and mm. sort out some of the fundamentals, whether that's coaching, um, the communication between coach and athletes, um, governing bodies, which are inherently supposed to be the enemy for a lot of people, but we need to bridge that and, and make it a bit more unified and understand the bigger picture because it's not just about what happens in athletics. It's just, it's also athletic standing against the other sports out there, which are yes. growing rapidly and yes. changing and evolving and getting a lot of traction. I think you're absolutely right with that point. I think, you know, we look at Premier League football, which seems to have taken over the world in, in, in terms of sport consumption on TV. Um, athletics is slowly disappearing from terrestrial TV. Uh, and these are um, worrying times for the sport. Uh I think you should throw your hat in the ring, Denise, and run UK Athletics. Have you ever thought of that? <laughs> I, I have delusions of grandeur every now and again. Um, I just don't know whether I, I'm best equipped, but I love that sport. It's got so much for it. If there's one sport that says whatever your body shape is, ability, there is a, there's an event for you. We can find an event mm. for you. And that's got to be a good message for our young people. Mm. I think it's exciting. It's dynamic. Um, yes, you've, you have the likes of Bolt in the past that you know the whole world gravitated to. But we have a fantastic race where all eight lanes, it's nip and tuck and you can't predict what's going to happen. Mm. It's equally as exciting. So... Yes, I'm there. Listen, I care about that sport. You know, it's my, it's in my heart. I would absolutely love an opportunity to to try and bridge some of those and do some of that to repair damage if possible. Oh well, UK Athletics, if you're listening, uh, you heard it here first. Um, but you're absolutely right. As a sport, it's one of the most accessible sports 
for young people of all. Um, you know, nothing could be simpler than running in a straight line as quickly as possible, um, and all the other events, of course, that, that go with that. Um, that said, do schools gear up? You, you mentioned this earlier, and, and do you feel we have the infrastructure there to identify our next talent, and then do we have the elite coaching in place around the whole country? It's a, it's a big ask, and again, it comes back to leadership of UK Athletics, but... Um, are you excited about the future or worried? Oh, I'm a bit worried at the moment. I, I have to confess, I'm a bit concerned. It's just been negative press after negative press. And that, as I said, it's not good for morale. Mm. Um, why would you, as a young person, choose athletics or your parents even want to pursue, you know, a, a, a sport that seems to not be able to govern itself very well? Mm. You know, it's it's a time, huge time commitment for for both parties, child and parent, mm. and you have to work very hard in athletics to gain some some momentum. Um, so that does concern me. So it has to look like it's fun. It has to look like there are opportunities. And I think one of the key um, words that you said is, is is elite coaching. We need to look at the coaching um, issues that have been bubbling under the surface for a long time but uh the fractures are there now and it's apparent for everyone to see mm. feels like it's at a crossroads but uh, we wish it well and um now you're a mum of four we talked about that uh and yet you keep yourself incredibly fit um are your children showing int any interest what do they think of mum and her achievements my children. I think they love that uh, they've got an incredibly sporty mom. Um, it doesn't seem to be rubbing off, I'd say. Just they, they have the ability physically. I'm not sure mentally they have the same sort of drive to pursue competitive sports in quite to the same level yet. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they're like, oh, that that was the olden days, mom. That was when you, <laughs> you know, you, when you were cool. You're not so cool anymore. <laughs> no, this is our time, mom. This is our time. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly that. Yeah. I'm just mom. I'm absolutely just mom. Uh, and actually, related to that, are the competitive juices still there? What What about the mum's race at Sports Day? It must be so. <laughs> It must be soul-destroying for the other competitive parents to turn up and realise they're lining up against Denise Lewis. I just don't get involved. I just don't. I did it once and I thought that was enough. So <laughs> I, I, you'll find me at the back, you know, <laughs> cap on, glasses on, whether it's sunshine or not, and I'm just watching from a distance. You know, it's been actually, we're joking aside, it has been a challenge for my children. Um, I've got a 19-year-old daughter and she's had... I think a torrid time with that comparison, you know, that mm. expectation of, you know, being that sporty, naturally gifted athlete. Mm. And she just wasn't, you know, completely different body shape, wanting to be competitive, but not really. And, you know, I think it actually suffocated her at, at some stages of her, her early life that she just mm. was getting tired of, oh, you must be sporty. Yeah. Questions. Very hard for her. Mm -hmm. The boys are a little bit more removed because 
you know, they they do different sports. They do team sports. They're both into that sort of football and rugby, crickets. They've done all of it. And um, they just get tired a little bit of, again, that expectations. I mean, my, my son tells me a funny story or told me a funny story when he moved schools a few years ago. And literally day two at his new school, he was summoned to the playing field um, to, to race the fastest boy in, in the year. That was his initiation. Oh. Um, luck, luckily he beat him, but you know, that was his sort of trial. Like, let's see what you've got. <laughs> Oof, that's pressure right there. Not pressure, a lot of pressure. He, he delivered. And I do think they do, they feel the pressure come sports day. I, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always encourage them just to do their best and, and that's all they can do. Yeah. ultimately but they've always got that target on their back yes that's that's all we ask of ourselves isn't it just trying our best and and as a parent i'm sure you're you're always trying to communicate that as a message and nothing else i have to because it wasn't my message you know sports day was for me like i want everyone to see that i'm actually the fastest girl here and that's it so i'm i'm uber competitive but my children don't seem to have that so You've got to, and we talk about this adjusting of um, mindset. I've had to really check back and try not to be that um, pushy parent. Mm. Um, I think one of my children is particularly gifted, but he is, he's the Iceman. His nickname is the Iceman because he's so cool and laid back. And, you know, he just, just isn't interested. He likes to play on his terms and I've had to adjust and it started with my daughter because she asked me what's wrong with being mediocre one day. And I, I nearly fell off my chair. I was like, what? What did she say to me? <laughs> I was like, what's wrong with being mediocre? I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> let me let me come back to you on that one. Um, but, you know, people, you just can't assume just because you've given birth to your children that you've got them. It's not an identikit. You know, you, mm. they're not carbon copies of you. Mm. And, and so I've had to let them be and organically find their way as they still develop. Mm. And celebrate those differences. You know, that we're, we're not carbon copies of each other. Um, and do you, um, uh, your youngest, uh, I, I know you, you've, you've been very open talking about that, becoming a mum again at 46. Let, let's let's uh, talk about that. How, how did you did you feel physically any different, clearly, from having uh, children in your 30s? Um, and, uh, and, and how are you enjoying that? I, I'm smiling because I absolutely love being a mom again, uh, fourth time. And I feel fitter than ever. Mm. I really do. Um, and I, I was really determined when I found out I was pregnant after I got over the the, the shock that it wasn't, you know, perimenopause. I was actually really pregnant. <laughs> um, I was like, okay, so I'm really doing this. And little conversation with myself, as I often do, um, right body, right mind, let's get to work. You know you're 46, the body is changing. I don't actually know whether I'm going to be able to do, this is the conversation, I'm role-playing here with myself. Mm. This is the conversation I had. Um, I don't know whether my body's going to be able to do what it did sort of 10 years ago, but we're going to give it a good crack. And that means you've got to have a sensible 
um, exercise program. Nothing too strenuous, but consistently working out, um, mostly functional training. Um, I wasn't confident enough to to run this time, so I didn't do any running. I went on the bike a little bit. I um, I was on the um, uh, the running machine, but walking and using therabands, um, those exercise bands, and just being really sensible, but keep making sure that functionally I was I was going to give it give it my all and sort of postpartum partum, I was very much of the mindset you will not be tired it's going to be challenging but you will overcome it you will eat right you will sleep right and um, I don't mind sharing this with you Mario mm-hmm. but I said to my husband um, I know you don't want to be tired again because you really are not equipped to deal with all of this this time around because he was well over 50 and <laughs> I said how about you move into the spare room and let's just me and baby Troy just do this we've got it and that's what I did and it worked a treat what was the use of both of us being tired so he got a full night's sleep how selfless of you I bet you remind him of that from time to time. No, but I said what I expect from you is that um, when I, I he turned to chef, he was making sure that I was nutritionally sound, so I was getting my my food food on demand. He was like my own delivery, personal delivery to the bedroom, <laughs> <laughs> and, and um, he looked after me while I looked after baby. It's perfect. That's fantastic. There we are. You're inspiring parents to be out there. That's the plan. It's a plan, but you can do that full time round when you, yeah, because with our number three, he was he was up all night because uh, he didn't actually leave the bed until he was about five. So it was that was torture. That was real hell, hell on earth, <laughs> sleep deprivation to the maximum. Yeah. But um, this time around, I just felt I wanted to do it this way, and it worked. It worked for us. And do you feel you're you're cherishing and enjoying Troy more uh, at the age that you both are as, as parents now? Um, it's a, it's almost a privilege to to have children later in life. It's a privilege, but it's you know you're not trying to. I think during the thirties, we were moving house, we were rushing around with the children. There were toddlers. It was chaotic. You know, you're still forging your career. Everything was just, you always were wishing you were at the next phase of life mm. and busy, just crazy busy. Uh, this time, I feel like I'm in control. I have really good balance. Mm. Um, as I said, I'm, I'm energized. I know what I want. I wanted Troy with my whole heart and I'm, I'm just loving it. He brings me so much joy every day. Um, yes, we had we had lockdown, so that really did help us as well. You know, you could have all the milestones. I saw every every minute without having to feel guilty about going off to work and leaving him. It was a blessing. It was a real blessing. So it's turning that negative into a positive for me. That was um, yeah. a, a big a big key. And um, I'll be sad when he is at nursery full time. I will really miss <laughs> our, our quality time together. Ah, oh, but the, the positivity that just emanates from you—that's um, uh, that, its own inspiration, Denise. And and what does uh, your 
exercise regime look like these days? What's a typical week for you? What do you like to do? Because in the end, we, we tend to do what we enjoy. Uh, so what do you enjoy? I enjoy, I enjoy high intensity training. I, I do love it. I, lo- I like to sweat. I love it. Um, I, I like to cycle as well. Cycling for me is, is a big one. And, and that's, you know, indoor and out. I have some really cool wide bikes, but I'm not too confident at this time of the year mm. when it's a bit cold and the leaves are everywhere to go out. But um, I enjoy cycling. Um, I do a lot of functional training as well. So, you know, make sure I've got good glute activation, um, keeping my upper body intact. You know, women have, you know, you'd probably know when you're married, you, hot spots. I call them hot spots that you like to work on. And so I pay a lot of attention to those hot spots. But I, 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 the one area that I'm not good at is, is my stretching, my flexibility. That is something that I really, as an athlete, I didn't like it either. But it's a vital component of fitness. And um, both my husband and I are realizing we need to do a bit more stretching and work on our flexibility. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think I'm in, I'm in good order. I don't do as much um, uh, sort of weight training as I used to. Mm. That's, that's intentional, but I, I do, you know, like bell work, but again, it's, it's more functional movement as opposed to really trying to go into, I call it beast mode uh, with the, the heavy squats and whatnot. You can still get the same sort of um, resistance and uh, muscle as activation mm. with lighter weights, different reps, um, and making sure you vary your training. Well, there's a job here for you as a personal trainer, Denise. You know your stuff. <laughs> and um, have you ever gone back onto the track? Have you? When were you last on a track and put the spikes on? Oh, spikes, that's an absolute no-no. I remember training with my sons because, again, trying to keep the, the boys really engaged during lockdown was tough. And so I, I consciously came up with plans. We were very engaged at the garden, so we were very lucky we could do some, you know, cone work, work on their footy and, and um, um, reactions. So we did a lot of that, but we also went running a lot. And, you know, you just don't train with your teens because they get too <laughs> no. good. Yes. They get yes. too good. And they will embarrass you, even though you're not ready to, for that victory, your, you know, for their victories. But uh, I trained with my son and he, uh, yeah, he whooped my ass. I was most upset. And I pulled my hamstring because I was determined that he didn't beat me. I pulled my <laughs> hamstring, Marianne, and I thought, wow, that's a sign that you need to take out the competitiveness you're helping him, not yourself. Just so coach on the side. <laughs> bad enough you were whooped by your son and then also pulled your hamstring. Yes. Oh, he, that's a satisfying moment for him, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> and uh, next year's a big year for Birmingham. Uh, yes. Commonwealth Games. Yeah. And uh, I, th- I think you're involved in some capacity uh, as, as a figurehead for, that, for the Games. Is that right? Tell us about that. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm president of um, Commonwealth Games England. Um, small role. Small role. Uh, but I love it. You know, I can't begin to tell you that in my sort of um, two terms that 
Birmingham Royal War did the Commonwealth Games. It's just, it's going to be amazing. Naturally, after the year we've had, or the athletes have had after in Tokyo, where there were no crowds, um, oh, the protocols that were in place really challenging for them, you know, with the COVID, um, the isolation. Um, we won't have that. Fingers crossed, we won't have that next year. We're hoping to have full stadia. And the athletes have an opportunity to share those once-in-a-lifetime moments with friends and family um, on home soil. Mm. Yeah, we haven't had a major games um, like that since since the Olympics. And actually, uh, just thinking about uh, Tokyo just passed, this is a perfect opportunity for someone like Dina Asher-Smith, who unfortunately injury curtailed her Olympics, to bounce back uh, in a home games. Uh as a springboard for her future? There'll be a lot of athletes in, in similar situations. I mean, Katarina Johnson-Thompson, who obviously is world champion um, in heptathlon, a British record holder as well. Mm-hmm. And, she, you know, she had a torrid time also this year. Yeah. Just about made it onto the start line. And then we saw her sadly pull up in the 200 metres at the yeah. close of day, day one. So she's hoping also that the Commonwealth will give her another opportunity to wow the crowds mm, um, mm. but we have a lot of youngsters coming through Keely Hodgkins, Hodgkinson in the women's 800 meters you saw her stunning silver medal out yeah. in Tokyo but again when you win a medal like that you want to back it up you know athletes are the the collecting as many medals if you have the opportunity as possible so she'll want to be there her parents couldn't be at, in Tokyo seeing her moments in in the sun you know that glorious glorious race that she put together Mm. so again having the opportunity to to witness something like that will be amazing and there'll be a lot of those stories throughout the sports where people just shine young athletes getting that opportunity that i remember so well walking into your first global championships Mm. but this time it'll be with a home crowd there behind you just amazing that's exciting and injury permitting injuries permitting women's athletics is in pretty good shape right when you look at uh, who's coming through and who's already there uh, in 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 world terms uh, it's actually exciting times for the women's athletics would you say it's not it's not just women's athletics either it's it's women's sport in general it's mm-hmm. um it's on the ascendancy it's it's really taking shape and that comes through you know, enough people and some of the early pioneers just demanding more, more visibility, more visibility, more sponsorship deals um, coming into play. And I think that has really not only galvanized some of the teams, team sports, but also really um, sort of encouraged more, more girls to want to take up women's sport. And so next year we'll see, we'll see a lot of women's sports um, showcase at the Commonwealth Games and a lot of new names for people to get used to. And so, yes, both um, the greater world of women's sport, but equally yeah, track and field uh, athletics will will really have our women, I think, possibly scooping a lot of the medals. You're right. There are more opportunities for, for women in sport generally. And, and you strike me as too modest, but I wonder if you look back with some degree of satisfaction, you helped, you helped contribute in opening doors for, for women to participate in sport? I think it's it's unlocking that 
can I do it? Have I got what it takes to get there? And I think if you watch my, how did you describe it at the beginning? Um, it, it wasn't an easy ride to that gold medal at all. You know, the injuries were ravished my body, but I made it. And I think that's triumph over adversity for a lot of people um, was very inspirational. And I think that that alone for, for many of our women, just like, yeah, we see much more success. Yes, I might have been one of the one of the early uh, athletes to, to really plant that seed consistently throughout my career that have inspired them. And they're just running with that baton. They are mm-hmm. running towards the light and they are doing so well. And it's a joy to watch from so my little is. comms box <laughs> and my, my comfy sofa watching you, them slagging do you, out. Do you mentor them, Denise? Do they come to you for advice? I'd like to think they do, but what sort of relationship do you have with the today's stars? I think I've I've said to myself many years ago um, that it's my responsibility to reach out because as athletes, you, you sort of just get on with it and you sometimes struggle in silence. So, and it's quite well documented. My relationship with Kat is a really strong one. So when I saw that she needed help, I actively reached out to her. And I think that's like anything with your mental wellness. The onus is always on, you know, down to someone to say, help, I need help. And that's not an easy thing to do for a lot of people. And so it is about picking up the phone and saying, how's everything going? And so I do that with a couple of athletes. I do pick up the phone or go on their socials and DM them and just say, hey, everything okay? You know, whether it's athletes that have just had babies that are, oh, goodness, I beg your pardon, that was, did that come through? No. Okay, so I had a loud ringing noise in my, my head. <laughs> no. Sorry about that. Um, but even if that's athletes that have just had a baby, one athlete in particular, I just reached out to her very recently and said, I know what it's like when you're still in that athlete's mindset. You just want to get back as soon as possible. But you have to respect the body, respect that it is a trauma to the body, having going through pregnancy, having birth, childbirth, it, you know, it's, it's traumatic for the body. And so take your time, mm. do the right things, make sure you get your pelvic floor sorted before you start pounding, pounding the, the, the track or the, 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 uh, the roads again, you know, just make sure that your body is right before you get going. Such good advice, and I'm sure really appreciated from everyone you reach out to. Uh, what project other than the the Commonwealth Games next year? Any any projects coming up, Denise, that you're looking forward to? Oh, put me on the spot. I'm I'm involved with um, a campaign at the moment, and it's um, one with with a high street brand. And again, I I love this real energy there is about women being open and short talking and sharing how difficult it is sometimes to be a woman. And I'm, I'm not trying to um, alienate our, our male listeners here, but uh, for, for, for too long, we've, we're quiet about things that are relevant to us. And I, I'm involved in um, some new products, just um, training apparel, but it's, you know, the motto is the gym of life and women are always juggling and hustling and, Oh, it's the school run, work, you name it. So I'm, I'm involved in, in just uh, creating um, 
sort of apparel for women to feel comfortable in so they can just go about their daily lives. So, yeah, always open to opportunities, Mario. That's me. Got my ear to the ground. Well, okay. Well, after this podcast, uh, there's a part-time personal trainer contract uh, on its way to you, okay? So you can come and you can train our members here. <laughs> we can negotiate the hourly rate, okay, after after this podcast. But it's uh, it's been wonderful talking to you. Uh, you are such an inspiration. Uh, you exude all this positivity. You clearly haven't slowed down. Uh, everything you turn to hand to, you seem to just really throw everything at it. And uh, thank you for sharing uh, your life today with with all of us uh, here at Lanzerhof at the Arts Club. And um, well, hopefully we'll see you here very soon. Definitely. And thank you for having me. Thanks, Maria. Well, thanks very much. And uh, uh, well, we'll speak again very soon, Denise. Thank you. Keep well. And you. Bye.